I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Let us hear the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to its reading and teaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And my brothers and sisters, we desperately need the Spirit. Amen. Amen. The following headline appeared in a Charlotte, North Carolina newspaper. Woman discovers ex-boyfriend living in her attic 12 years after they broke up. When Tracy, a single mother of five, heard banging in her attic, she thought the worst it could be was an animal or a ghost. But when she sent her older sons and nephews up to check, they found a man she had broken up with 12 years ago, sleeping in her heating unit at her home in Rock Hill, Charlotte. Talking about the night she discovered the man in her house, the the nurse said she had a feeling something wasn't right. Then she said she heard a thump coming from the ceiling and noticed things coming loose from the ceiling. That's when she sent the men in her home to check out the attic. That's right, men. They found a man. He had packed all the old coats and jackets into the heating unit and was sleeping in the heating unit, she said, adding that the man ran downstairs and out of the house before the police could get there. What a bizarre story. What a bizarre headline. How bizarre is that? that there was a man living in this woman's house for quite some time, the article goes on to read, but she didn't even know it. You've got to be wondering like me, right? If there's a grown man living in your attic, how could you not notice? It's hard for me to fathom that it took so long for this family to detect this man's presence. This makes me think of something else, something maybe even a little harder to fathom. How is it that we can be so unaware of God's presence? All too often, we are unaware, both as individual Christians and as the church of Jesus Christ, that God is among us. If we're completely honest, we're not only like this woman, we're also like Jacob in Genesis 28, after having seen a vision of God, said the following, Surely God is in this place, and I didn't even know it. 
The issue is never whether or not God is present. The issue is whether or not we perceive his presence. And the difference between perceiving it and not perceiving it comes down to one thing, pursuit. If we're going to experience more of the presence of God, the scripture's clear, we must pursue his presence. Or to use the language of our text this morning, we must draw near. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, the author wants us to be aware that one of the greatest benefits of the new covenant that has been secured for us by the blood of Jesus and delivered to us by the Holy Spirit is access to the presence of God. God's Spirit has cleansed us through the blood of Christ and set us apart to have access to the very presence of God. God is with us, we are promised. God is among us. God is so close to us that the scripture tells us that by the Holy Spirit, he indwells us. Our God is a God who is here, who's always here. To use a double negative, who's never not here. God is always with us. And so the issue for us as followers of Jesus is not whether God is with us at any point in time. The issue for us as followers of Jesus and for the church of Jesus Christ is whether or not we perceive that he is with us. So although this privilege is ours as individual Christians and although this privilege is ours as the church, the scripture is clear that this privilege is especially experienced when the church gathers. And so in this text this morning, we are being urged at the end of the passage I just read not to neglect coming together. Because when we neglect coming together, we miss out on a number of privileges that have been secured for us by Jesus. And the one we want to zero in on today, Lord willing, is this privilege of experiencing God's presence. When the church comes together, we're being exhorted in this text to eagerly pursue the presence of God. And on the other side of pursuit, we should anticipate encountering him. And that's the big idea we want to consider today from this text. We must prioritize our privilege of pursuing God's presence together. We must prioritize our privilege of pursuing God's presence together. And before we jump in and I give full attention to the first of three exhortations that are in this text, I want to quickly give an overview of verses 19 through 25. We'll actually be in this really short section of the book of Hebrews for a number of weeks. Uh, undoubtedly, you notice that verse 19 began with the word therefore. And if you've been hanging out with me anytime, uh, for any amount of time, whenever we get to the word therefore in the Bible, what do we ask? What's the word therefore? Therefore. Well, let's let David Peterson, New Testament theologian, help us answer that question. He says, quote, After several chapters of complex doctrinal argument, the writer draws out the practical implications, repeating some of the warnings and encouragements previously given. A close link between good theology and faithful Christian living is thus demonstrated. So the word therefore is there to provide a hinge from the doctrinal section of the book of Hebrews, now to the practical exhortation and application of that theology. 
What you can't see in the original, what you can't see in the English version of this text is that verses 19 through 25 actually only form one single sentence in the original language. And it's got some really clear and apparent movement to it. Notice the logic. It's straightforward. In verse 19, since we have this in Christ, and since we have this in Christ, verse 21, let us draw near, verse 22. Let us hold fast, verse 23. And let us consider how to stir up one another, verse 24. And so we have these, this, this, this summary of what's been provided for us through the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ in the new covenant, summarized in verses 19 through 21. And then he makes these three direct, practical exhortations based upon all of that teaching. And then it's summarized by saying we must not neglect meeting together until Christ returns in verse 25. Because it's when we come together as Christians in the church that we experience the fullness of what's been provided for us through the new covenant. So with that as an overview, let's now direct our focus primarily on this first of these three exhortations, let us draw near. And as we look at this exhortation in verse 22, I just want to ask three simple questions. Where are we drawing near? Why can we draw near? And how do we draw near? First, let's seek to answer the question, where are we drawing near? To do that, let's back up and get context in verse 19. Since we have confidence, ready, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us, verse 22, draw near. According to the author, we have the privilege of entering somewhere amazing because Jesus has done something amazing to open the way to go there. In fact, the way the text reads, it's as if Jesus has unlocked a door and has opened a way for us to go somewhere we couldn't go before. It's described as a living way. It's accenting the fact that as long as Jesus lives, this access, this, this door, this way is open. And since Jesus lives forever, he holds this door wide open for all who trust in him forever. So where does this door, where does this way lead to? Verse 19 says, holy places. You might initially think because of the first century context and because of all that we've been reading in the book of Hebrews concerning how Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament um, foreshadowed concerning his coming. You might think that these holy places are a reference to the temple in Jerusalem. Now the temple in Jerusalem surely was a holy place. In fact, it was made up of two sections that are referred to as the holy places, the holy place and the most holy place. Together they were called the holy places. These were the holy places where God and man would meet, where worship, fellowship, and service was offered to God. But are these the holy places verse 19 is referring to? We find the answer by flipping back in our Bible one page to chapter 9 verse 24. Listen to the author of Hebrews, addressed the, these holy places just one chapter earlier. He said, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God 
on our behalf. Did did you catch that? It's astounding. It's amazing. The implications for us as Christians and the church are remarkable. The holy places on earth were man-made structures that were a replica or a picture of the true holy places in heaven. And the author is directing our attention to the fact that Jesus has made a way for us not to go into holy places made with hands, the physical holy places, but God has made a way for us in Christ to draw near to the true holy places, the very presence of God, heaven. So what's this mean practically? It means exactly what it sounds like it means, although it's, it's hard for us to fathom. It means that in one sense, we don't have to wait till we die to go to heaven. In fact, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're told in this text that because of Jesus, we get to experience a little bit of heaven on earth. We're being told that when we come together as the church, we have the unbelievable privilege of entering heaven these holy places, the very presence of God, because Jesus has opened the way. Listen to F.F. Bruce, another outstanding New Testament scholar, remark on this amazing reality. He said, quote, Believers have no need to ask who shall ascend into heaven when it is a question of their approaching God. Here upon earth they may enter his heavenly abode and know direct communion with him by the blood of Jesus. In other words, when we come together as Christians, we have the unbelievable privilege of experiencing direct communion with God. The church, both theologically and practically speaking, is the place where heaven and earth meet. God is not just with us theoretically. We don't talk about God's presence simply as that which we hope to experience, that we hope to encounter one day when we pass from this life to the next. Oh, no, no. The author of Hebrews is making this explicit. Right now, through the blood of Jesus, we have access into the holy place of heaven, and we get to encounter direct communion with God. He is with us right now because together we are a holy place. We are the temple of the Lord. This isn't the only place this remarkable reality is highlighted in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22, that the Father has made us in Jesus a dwelling place for God by the Spirit Paul uses the analogy of the temple over and over again to to describe the community of saints who come together in Jesus' name. He says, what, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you and you are not your own for you belong to God? In context, he's speaking to the church collectively as they come together and encounter the presence of God together. So why can we experience direct communion with God on earth, it's because Jesus has opened the way. And that leads us to our next question. Why can we draw near? 
verses 19 and 20 tell us, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. The reason we can draw near to the presence of God of heaven on earth is because when Jesus shed his blood and died in our place as our substitute on the cross, he opened the way. Now, because of how much time we've considered this up until this point throughout our exposition of the book of Hebrews, I, I won't spend much time here, but I do want to highlight one detail that is unique to this particular text. It's the phrase, through the curtain. Do you recall that when Jesus died on the cross in our place, he cried out, it is finished. And do you recall that after Jesus cried out, it is finished, the Gospel of Matthew in particular records a number of cataclysmic events that took place after that cry. Matthew tells us that the earth shook and that rocks were split. Matthew tells us that the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had previously died were raised and appeared to people. Can you imagine that? We're also told that the thick curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place in the temple was split from top to bottom as if the hand of God took that curtain from the top and ripped it wide open. That curtain was symbolic of the barrier that naturally exists between sinful humanity and the holiness of God's presence. Sinful men and sinful women are not permitted in the presence of a holy God. And that curtain was there to symbolize that there was a barrier. And until that barrier was removed, no one could draw near to the direct presence of God. However, at the crucifixion of Jesus, when his flesh was torn, that curtain was torn. It means that when Christ died on the cross, here's what was happening in all actuality. That barrier that kept us as sinners from drawing near to the presence of God's holiness has been removed the curtain was torn because Jesus' flesh was torn in our place on the cross. So by the blood of Jesus, our sins that would keep us out have been cleansed and forgiven. So we don't draw near on our own merits. We don't draw near because we have it all together. We don't draw near because we are holy people. We don't draw near because we're having a good week or not because we didn't have a bad week. We draw near because the blood of Jesus Christ makes us fit for the presence of God. So we can, why can we draw near to these holy places? Why can we draw near to the direct presence of God and experience him the God in heaven on earth, it's because Jesus has made a way. The curtain has been torn. Final question. How do we draw near? In verse 22, we are commanded, let us draw near. It's as if the author understands that we are prone to the folly of having a privilege and yet not taking advantage of it. We're being commanded 
to take advantage of one of the greatest privileges ever, a privilege that would have been mind-blowing to an old covenant saint. In verses 19 through 21, he's saying, you can draw near, you have access to draw near. Now verse 22, what should you do? Draw near. (laughs) You can go there. Therefore, go there. You're allowed there. You have access there. You can experience the God of heaven on earth. So what should you do? Draw near. It's one thing to have a privilege. It's another thing to take advantage of it. One Christmas, I got a spectacular gift from a really close friend. Um, I was given a Starbucks travel tumbler. And when I opened the Starbucks travel tumbler, inside it was a note. And the note was from Starbucks. And this was what this special tumbler was for. I read on the inside that this special traveling tumbler gave me access to one free espresso drink a day for the entire month of January. Now, for most people who are trying to lose some weight in the new year, this wasn't good news. But man, a free espresso drink every single day, that's all the, that's all the caramel macchiatos and one and a half pump caramel lattes that this man could ever want in one given month. So I have this privilege. I have this access. But what did I have to do to take advantage of it? I had to go to Starbucks and get it filled up. Even though I had the privilege, I wasn't going to experience the privilege, if you will, unless I would go and get it. We have this remarkable privilege of access to the presence of God. It's one thing to have access to it. It's another thing to experience it. Having access to enter the presence of God does us no good if we don't walk through the door and draw near. So how do we draw near? We've already covered the reality that God is always present. He's always here. So drawing near is not conjuring God's presence. We're not begging him to come like the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. We're we're asking their, their false gods to come. We're not even like Elijah who's asking for the presence of God to come down. He's already here. So drawing near is not wishful thinking. Drawing near is not trying to get God to want to be with us. He's here. He's always here. By his spirit, he he indwells every follower of Christ. And collectively, we are the temple. The spirit of God is with us. So how is it then that we actually draw near to the God who's already here? Well, the same way we do when we draw near to someone who's in the room with us. Just because they're in the room doesn't mean we're engaging with them. Just because they're in the room doesn't mean that we're actually interacting with them. So what do you do when you walk into a room and you see somebody you want to talk to? You approach them. You talk to them. You listen to what they have to say to you. You respond to what they're saying to you. You ask them questions. If they're showing hospitality, you eat their food, right? You laugh together. You cry together. You interact with one another. In order for that to happen, intentional Interaction must take place. And that's the key to drawing near to the presence of God. He's here, but we must intentionally interact with him. And you shouldn't be surprised 
that when you intentionally interact with him, that you will sense that he's intentionally interacting with you. So how do we draw near to God when we gather as the church? Because that's definitely the emphasis in this text, when we meet together, albeit right now meeting together virtually. How is it that we together on Sundays, even under these circumstances, draw near to the presence of God together? Well, first, we need to act like he's here. By faith, we believe that although we do not see him, he is present with us. That the church is where heaven and earth meet. That God has made us a dwelling place by the Spirit. That he is here with us. Whether the music's good or the sermon's great or the lighting is right or we have zero to no, a zero to little technical difficulties. God's presence with us is not based upon how well we do what we do when we gather. God is here no matter what by virtue of the new covenant promises. Christ has secured access to the presence of God and the spirit of God indwells each and every one of our souls. We begin to draw near by acknowledging that he's, quote-unquote, in the room. And then beyond that, we must acknowledge his presence in the room. We sing to him like he's with us. We pray to him like he's with us. We give our offerings to him like he's with us. We listen to his word like he is here with us. We respond to what he says like he is here with us. We receive the Lord's Supper like Christ is here with us. We receive grace from him like he is here dishing it out for our good and his glory. Why do we do this? Not to make believe. Not to pretend. We're acting like this by faith because he's here. He is our welcome guest. God is with us and we draw near to him simply by intentionally approaching him. A.W. Tozer, in his outstanding little book called The Pursuit of God, this is possibly one of the books I've reread the most. Short, sweet, and stirs my heart to want to be close to God. And he makes the following observation about the presence of God. He says, quote, the presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God, for his work is to show us the Father and the Son. And if we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. What's he saying here? Oh, this is a, a critical observation from Scripture. What he's saying is the fact that God's presence... And our experience of God's presence are related, but not the same. Just because he's here doesn't mean we experience that he's here. And what we find in the Bible is that when we ask God to make himself known to us, he is eager to manifest his presence. 
When Moses cried out to the Lord in Exodus 33, show me your glory. God doesn't go, not today. When Moses cries out, show me your glory, God reveals to him a beautiful display of what makes him God and God alone. Jesus promised in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst. What happens to those who hunger and thirst? They are filled. God wants us to taste and see that he's good. God wants us to know his presence. It was James who made the staggering promise in James 4 verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God wants to be sought after and when we seek him, we will find him, the prophet Jeremiah said, when we search with all our heart. God wants us to experience his nearness. And sometimes I, I think we have this impression that God is playing a cruel game of hide and seek. Find me if you can. No. God wants us to experience his nearness. So let us draw near. Let us draw near, fully anticipating that God will draw near to us. Church, we must prioritize this privilege of pursuing God's presence together. So let me ask you, do you acknowledge his presence in your day-to-day -day life? Do you acknowledge his presence as we gather? He's with you 24-7. He's with us every time we gather, physically or virtually. Church, God is with us. And here's all we need to do. We must ask him to reveal himself to us. Are you asking him to speak to you? Are you asking him to speak through you? Are you asking him to pour out grace upon your life? Are you asking him to receive your worship as you pour out your hearts in praise and adoration of his glory? Are you asking him to comfort and assure your heart that you are truly a forgiven sinner with access to the presence of God each and every time you experience the bread and the cup? I get I get chills thinking about what could possibly happen if we as a church began to more faithfully together cry out to God, show us your glory. I believe the more we cry out, the more he will reveal himself. And the more he reveals himself, church, we will never be the same. Oh, church, may God help us to be the kind of Christians, and may God help us to be the kind of church that prioritizes pursuing this privilege of God's presence together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son. We thank you for the access that's been granted to us through his blood Thank you that the curtain has been torn from top to bottom. 
and we may boldly go where we one time had no right to go. Thank you that sinners like me and sinners like us have been cleaned and forgiven, that our shame has been covered, our guilt's been removed, and now we can come and be where you are. God, help us to increase in our faith, believing that you're here with us, and that all we must do is acknowledge, interact, and pursue your presence among us. Oh God, will we do this as we fellowship with you? Will we do this as we worship you? Will we do this and be equipped to better serve you? And will we do this and become more like you? Oh God, show us your glory. Show us your glory. And as we pray, would you reveal yourself to us? In Jesus' name, amen.